Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. The point is getting to the point fast with news that helps you get more from reading less. The point is hearing the nation on your morning commute. The point is life is complicated. Dinner shouldn't be. The point is having couchside feel like courtside. The point is seeing the big picture and all of the little ones too. The point is journalism that gets right to the point of the story and why it matters to you. USA Today to the point. Welcome to the 42nd episode of the Baseball HQ Eyes Have It podcast with your solo host for this episode, Chris Blessing. My co-host, Brent Hershey, is on assignment. Well, that's not exactly 100% true. He's actually under the weather and will be back for next week's episode. Normally, we wait to record with Brent. However, because of my upcoming busy schedule, we plan to record two episodes back-to-back tonight. Uh, This is Sunday. Um... And usually we record on Monday, but I have a fantasy football draft. Um, and then I go out of town later this week, but there'll be, we'll have a show next week. Uh, we'll record uh, the 43rd episode on Tuesday or Wednesday evening. Um, so we are going to have our regular show and then record with two guests for episode 43. Well, that kind of worked out for me because episode 43 now has become episode 42. Uh, I recorded two great segments with fellow Baseball HQ writers, Jeremy Deloney and Rob Gordon, both bringing live looks of Midwest League prospects. Uh, So we'll have five live looks in total um, after I go through a few things. Uh, And specifically, before I do get to those guests, I wanted to talk about the release of the Arizona Fall League schedule. As you know, the AFL is a big part of Baseball HQ's First Pitch Arizona um, weekend, which takes place November 3rd to the 6th at the Sheridan Mesa Wrigleyville Hotel, which is nearly next door to Sloan Park, uh, which is the spring training home of the Chicago Cubs, hence the name Wrigleyville Hotel, and the AFL home of the Mighty Mesa Solar Sox. Which I'll be honest, mighty might be the wrong word. Mason always tends to be a weaker squad for whatever reason. Um, but my fingers are crossed this year, uh, given the teams that usually make up Mesa seem to be a bit stronger on their farm system right now. So hopefully a better team. Uh, this year, it's also home to the AFL Home Run Derby on Saturday night and the AFL Fall Stars game on Sunday night. This is a change from previous years. This is a, The AFL Home Run Derby is an inaugural event, uh, and they're going to have that on Saturday night. So um, the, the original plan, which the Major League Baseball announced on Twitter, was to have the Home Run Derby on Friday night and the Fall Stars game on Saturday night. But um, I guess with the possible a possible scheduling conflict with World Series Game 6 and 7, they've moved back the Home Run Derby and the AFL Fall Stars game. So this might be an opportunity to come watch baseball with a lot of different experts and watch uh, um, the last two games of the World Series. Hopefully we get to seven games this year, and hopefully it's uh, two good teams, at least the two teams that I cheer for, one from each league. Uh, um, so this is a change, having the Sunday night game uh, be the Fall Stars game. Usually Sundays are days off for um, the AFL. So I've had to change my flight home so I don't miss this year's Fall Star game. So um, this weekend is a pretty big deal. And if you go to BaseballHQ.com, you can learn more about this weekend. We have several, several seminar sessions and breakouts that are scheduled. And uh, the folks, uh, Ron Chandler, um, Ray Murphy, and 
Brent Hershey are busy planning this event as we speak. Uh, so please get on there and register um, for this event. Uh, so that is my little sales pitch for today. And what a perfect time to go ahead and introduce our first guest. This is the second time we've had Jeremy Deloney on, uh, one of our Baseball HQ writers. Uh, and um, the first time we had him on was he was a guest for episode 36, where he broke down uh, Eli De La Cruz, Jose Torres, uh, both of the Reds, and Angel Martinez of the Guardians. Today, he's bringing a pair of athletics prospects to our podcast. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate the invitation again. Always good to be on. This is a pretty big deal right now because... Uh, the Oakland Athletics is something that neither Brent or I have been able to bring any anybody from, um, uh, especially the top guy in their farm system right now, uh, which you got to see, uh, and that is Prospect, and notice how I don't put a position by his name, uh, Tyler Soderstrom, uh, who was drafted last year, in the, uh, well, two years ago in the first round, in high school he was a catcher is is he still operating as a catcher yeah he's still splitting between catching and first base and in the game i saw him he was at first base which is a little disappointing but um he, he you know from all the scouts are saying and all the, the people i've spoke to have said that you know they're gonna stick with him at catcher and see how it goes but but the bat's gonna play anywhere that's for sure yeah, it's been kind of um, curious uh, of late for the Oakland Athletics. If you go and look at their organization right now, they just called up Shea Langleyers, who uh, looks to be kind of their catcher of the future, or at least their catcher right now. And then they drafted in the first round this year out of the University of Arizona, Daniel uh, Susick, uh, who's also a guy that is known primarily for his bat, uh, but people do believe that he sticks at catcher too. So uh, essentially, if you look at it and whether you argue or not, their top three to, you know, maybe there's four or five uh, position prospects, their top five position prospects of those five, three of them are natural catchers. So you got to see Soderstrom at first base. Um, let's talk about how he is uh, with the bat. Uh, what did you see in your look? Really, really impressive. Uh, good, good frame. Uh, athletic frame. He's listed at 6'2", 200. It sounds about right. looks about right. Um, but you know, the game he had, it was, uh, you know, look, going into the, to the game and actually looking at the stats, uh, you know, prior to, to this, he's really struggled against left-handers this year. And that night he faced a lefty. And, of course, first at bat, dropped a three-run bomb on him. So, for the game, he went oh, two nice. for four, three ribbies, a walk, batted cleanup. But it's just like the scouting report says. He's got a really beautiful swing. It's that picturesque lefty swing. Quite a bit of loft in it. I, I think you're going to see a lot of swing and miss there. I, I know the people I spoke to and, and corresponded with have had mixed opinions on you know, whether he's going to hit for batting average or not. You know, a couple things. When I wrote his scouting report prior to the season, I had mentioned 25-plus home runs, and he's probably going to hit for a high batting average. I'm going to switch that a little bit. I think he's going to hit 30-plus home runs at his peak. It's natural power, bat speed, strength, loft, leverage, good use of his hands, good wrist action. I'm just not as convinced he's going to hit for as high of a batting average. I've, I've heard people say 300 batting average. Ooh. Again, one game I saw, high A at the time, struggles against left-handers. I'm thinking probably 270, 280, which with 30 home runs, if he sticks at catcher, wow, right? First baseman, those are great numbers too. So I think, to me, his ultimate upside and rating is going to be predicated upon the batting average. But it's a really nice approach. He's going to draw his walks, but this is a guy that's going to strike out 120 times a year. So, pretty good. Well, prospect. you know, the the one thing, Jeremy, I hate to interrupt. The one thing that uh, that 
I've learned about Soderstrom is uh, looking at some data last year um, from his uh, from his time, I guess, in low A, was his ability to uh, it, it create angles to different fields, essentially. He um, uh, had that natural loft, and you've talked about his swing and stuff. Uh, can you describe, like, that home run? Was it pulled, or was it something, you know, to the gaps, or, or, or you know, what kind of home run was it? Oh, dead pull. It just crushed it over right field. It was, it was <laughs> I was with my uh, my two sons and my dad at the time, and everyone kind of looked at each other like, wow, just turned on it. Um, but yeah, I, it, it was true. Again, I think some of the narrative about him is his ability to use all fields. And I mean, he did use all fields. So again, a good approach, good swing, just a lot of swing and miss though. Yeah. Uh, how did he look? Uh, you mentioned that he um, was athletic. How how did he look at first base? Was he stiff out there, or was did he feel? Uh, did he seem comfortable at first base? Uh, it's a, it was tough to get a gauge on it. I mean, yeah. they got just smoked that game. They lost eighteen to six. Uh, so it was uh, he was out there for quite a long time, but I didn't really get a good feel for it. He's he's not a, a tremendous athlete, but he's athletic enough where. Look, if you can play catcher um, at, at that frame, uh, you know I, I'm I'm convinced he could play either. Yeah, there's there's differences for for our listeners. There's differences when we talk about athletic for catching. Um, uh, for instance, JT Realmuto is a athlete, regardless of where he's at on the field. Um, uh, he could be a second baseman. We still consider him athletic. Uh, of course, uh, all-star catcher for the Phillies. When we talk mostly when we say athletic for a catcher, um, that usually means somebody who who can handle the position, who has the ability to uh, to move behind home plate, quick movements, that sort of thing. Uh, so, you know, first base is kind of a natural place. I've heard that he, uh, you know, some some teams have said that it's probably going to be an outfield um, outcome, possibly left field for him. Um, do you feel like he um, has at least enough athleticism for that? Yeah, I do. You know, he's got, I don't want to call them natural actions. He's getting tough to get a gauge for one game at first base, yeah. but he moves well. He, he's not just some lumbering ox that has trouble getting the balls. And so, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see an outfield uh, first base catching again. I just, I couldn't get a read for. I know he was fairly raw behind the plate going into this year, but with certainly the acumen and the natural tools to potentially be a backstop. So whatever Oakland wants to do, I think they're certainly smart enough to figure it out. So it's going to be interesting. I know he was actually just recently, I shouldn't say recently, but uh, August 1st, he was promoted to double A. So you're talking a 20 year old kid in double A playing both catcher and first. So he certainly advanced with the bat. And I guess it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility to see him surface in the majors potentially next year. Oakland's got a good one on their hands. Well, that's good to hear. Um, I did have one final question uh, before we move on to the next guy. Um, it, for our listeners, one of, one of the things um, that, this episode is specifically going to bring uh, our other guest, Rob Gordon, uh, also got to uh, scout a catcher. Uh, and while he wasn't catching for you, um, you know, Soderstrom is a natural catcher. How does your evaluation of a catcher differ, um, you know, for our potential rating system and that kind of thing? Um, how does that differ um, for you if he was at a regular position? Let's say if he was a first, like you knew Soderstrom was going to be at first base, or if you knew Soderstrom was going to be in the outfield. Would it, with your potential rating, um, how you would attack that um, um, estimation change? Uh, that's a great question. It's certainly something that over the years, writing for HQ, I, I've really had to try to figure out with Soderstrom, I, I don't really see that as a factor just because again, the power, whether you you're playing left field, first base catcher, second, I mean, 30 home runs plus <sighs> it, it's, it, 
if he was converting to catcher, I think that might be a little bit of a different story because it would certainly ex- you know, extend his ETA to the majors. But because of the bat's so good, but I mean, other prospects that I've seen, you know, I, I, it doesn't really impact the ratings that much. So certainly the ratings are fantasy related. Being able to play catcher again, Ray, brought up Real Mudo. You've got the fact that he can steal bases. You don't see that out of many catchers. That may impact the rating. But I think with Soderstrom and with others that are similar to him, I don't think it impacts that much. Because if you can play catcher, generally speaking, you can play an infield corner or a corner outfield position. So I, it doesn't impact it that much, in my opinion, generally speaking, of course. And he was also a guy that, uh, you know, people his draft year were slinging out third base. Um, I think he played some third base in high school. So, like, obviously a guy that um, that has that acronym. Um, since he's gone, I've just looked up some of the um, some of the stats, some of the um, I, I, I'm privy to some stats. Once somebody gets to double A uh, and, you know, it kind of shows uh, some it shows what you were saying. It seems like just like everybody, everybody when they get to double A, and I don't know how much double A ball you do where you're at. Uh, it, it's a big increase on the on the secondary offerings, uh, and you start seeing their chase rates increase and that sort of thing on those pitches. And I'll be honest, like looking at his stats and why I can't name percentages. You know, you do see the swing and miss around 30%. Um, and I think that was pretty evident in your uh, your uh, evaluation of him. Uh, but the thing that you don't see, so for instance, when De, uh, Eli De La Cruz went from uh, where you were, um, when you saw him with Dayton, uh, to the next level to double a where i've gotten to see him a lot um his chase percentages were all in the 40 percent range like uh, his slider recognition that sort of thing um it looking at uh soderstrom um when you combine all of them it's it's near 30 percent uh and you do expect that little increase and as he gets comfortable with the league he's going to you know, get that chase right down, obviously. Uh, but like you can even even with this big jump in in quality of secondary pitches, you can see that Soderstrom is essentially a uh, patient hitter who is going to work the zone for uh, to to get to either that hard contact or to potentially a walk. So. Um, thank you for bringing that on, uh, Tyler Soderstrom. Uh, again, Oakland Athletics catcher, first base, outfield. And we'll even throw a third base prospect out there. I know he hasn't played there in a while, but uh, you know anything's possible uh, if you can hit for power and get on base. Uh, there's a there's a role for you in baseball right now. Second guy that you uh, got to see is a guy that I'm not really familiar with, Jeremy, and that is uh, shortstop prospect and not first baseman for the Dodgers, but shortstop prospect Max Muncy, who was drafted last year in the first round and uh, by the Athletics, and it was kind of a draft pick that was a bit surprising maybe uh, i think a lot of teams had him in the second round uh i think a lot of teams also thought that he was going to uh they were going to struggle signing him essentially he was asking for mid first round money as opposed to um you know where he got drafted so even the athletics would have had to go above slot on him uh to secure his rights uh so far this year, it's it's been okay. Uh, the batting average hasn't been that great, uh, but his on base percentage and, and the, his slugging's about where you would expect a high schooler in an advanced assignment uh, to be. Um, what were your thoughts on Max Bunsey? Yeah, I, he was interesting. I, you know, anytime you get a first rounder, that especially a recent first rounder that you see. There's just this buzz around him that, hey, I want to see what what this is all about. And with him, actually, when I was planning to go to the game, he was still in low A ball. So the fact that it was actually his first game in high A that I was able to see, 
was was pretty interesting. So I was really looking forward to the game because now I was able to see Sutterstrom, see Muncy, see Denzel Clark. So it was just a really interesting game to see. And Muncy, I like. Yet, again, the numbers, as you said, don't look that great. But he's a 19-year-old kid in high A ball. The game that I saw, he had a couple of doubles. He struck out. Pretty aggressive approach. But the thing that stood out to me, well, I should say the things that stood out to me, number one, he's going to stick a shortstop, I think. And number two, he's a really good athlete. He runs well. He's got fluidity agility, moves well to both sides at short, good arm. He just has that natural look to him that when you see someone like De La Cruz that you mentioned earlier, there's just certain baseball players that move so well, they're so fluid. He's one of them. Now, what he's going to have to work on, of course, is that. But he's got good power. Actually, he's got room to grow into his frame, and I don't think that's going to impact his athleticism negatively so it's a nice swing it's not perfect he does reach a little bit expands the zone a little bit there's a lot of things to work on got to shorten up the swing a tad but i think he's got really the skill set to be a really good player it's just again at high a as a 19 year old he's being tested so i think from here to the end of the season, which actually is only a few more weeks, I think it's going to be really important to see if he's progressed at all. But he's probably going to end up back at Lansing high A ball next year. But I, I really like him. He's someone to keep an eye on, but he's, he's not a top 100 guy. He's probably not a top five guy in Oakland system. But I think the rating I gave to him going into the season was an 8D. I probably will keep him that same rating. I think he's got that upside, but he's got a lower floor, too, just because of the bat. Not sure where that's going to end up. Yeah, kind of, you know, you mentioned the A's um, farm system. And I'll, I'll be honest, I'm not, I'm not the biggest fan of uh, their development. But there's there's a there's a track record with similar type hitters where, uh, you know, they, they've got a guy that uh, has – some flaws um, with the with the bat, and it sounds like this is a kid that needs to shorten up his swing, um, but has the athleticism to overcome that sort of thing. Um, and you know, I think that this is one of those uh, profiles. Just kind of watching it, and I'm just watching some Twitter highlights right now while I'm talking to you. It, it really seems like he's a guy that's like. Uh, above average across the board almost. Uh, there's nothing necessarily plus about him. Uh, but those sort of guys, it seems the A's always get the most out of. Uh, whether it was Matt Olson back in the day, or uh, and we're not even saying that far back in the day, really, or even Matt Chapman. They they seem to get that next level out of these sort of guys that, that have this above average um, profile. Would you agree that like his hit and power are, are probably projected as above average tools? Without question. And I think that's okay. from a hitting standpoint. Again, you think middle infielder, you know, the stereotypical thought in your head is he may be not as much power, but he's going to get on base, hit for a high average. I think, again, he's got a lot of work to do with the swing, a little bit of work to do with the approach, but power's there. And he's got a frame, too, that I think he's going to be able to add more strength to it, you know. Yeah, he looks he looks taller than 6'1 in these uh... – in these exactly. uh, little things. And I mean, that's where they have him listed at. And so like he, he has this long wiry body for those who uh, haven't seen any clips of him. Um, and it's, it's a, it's a proportionary wiry body body. If that makes sense. It's not necessarily, it's very lean muscle. It's obvious that's on there. So the bulk that does grow on this should fit just as you said, with the athletic frame, uh, where it's not likely going to slow him down and is likely not going to hinder him uh, at the shortstop position. Um, uh, fun fact here, he was also uh, shares the same 
day of birth, not the actual year of Max Muncy. Um, I did not realize that until I just Googled this. Uh, so that's that's pretty fascinating uh, on that. So um, have you seen like, for instance, this is you've been looking at high A for what, two years now since uh, since the Midwest League has has switched over. I can't it's hard to rack my brain on the um, seeing a prep guy get promoted this aggressively in his second year where he's already in high A. So, um, you know, for this sort of thing, um, when, when I'm evaluating that, it tells me that the organization uh, thinks highly that this guy can fail and not get into a rut. Um, how do you feel about that? Do you feel like that's a good calling sign if you see a high A 19-year-old um, <laughs> or whatever you want to say starting the year there in his first full pro year, or not, not starting the year, but coming up there um, midway through the season in his first year? Yeah, and it's a great call out, Chris, because I think that was the thing that stood out to me because you know you would generally expect someone who's dominating low A or just, you know, just tearing up the league or exhibited some sort of skill that, hey, we've got to test them on the next level. I mean, you look at Muncy's numbers, he wasn't really getting a lot of buzz either. So from a scout and a stat perspective, you wouldn't think that, hey, we're going to aggressively promote this kid to high A. But I think the one big difference, and we all talk about, you know, there's a big jump from double A to the majors. I think there is a huge jump from low A to high A. The reason I say that, and this is just my personal opinion, I don't have you know, the algorithms or the stats to back this up, but one of the things that I think people focus a little bit too much on in low A is you know, the, the walk to strikeout ratios. And I don't really put a whole lot of credence into that at that level because the pitching, the pitching doesn't have a whole lot of command. Mm -hmm. It's just a lot of not pitching. So I, I don't put a whole lot of credibility into, oh, a guy walks a lot. Well, he walks a lot because he doesn't, there's nothing good to hit. So there's a huge jump between low A and high A. And again, being in the Midwest League that I am, I, I saw that a lot. Sometimes you get a guy in low A and it's like, oh, gosh, the pitching is just, it's not very good. High A, it's much better. Not that it's a pristine league, but it's much better than it is low way. So that's why yeah. I think it was a telling sign for Oakland to promote him so early. But again, I think he's going to go back to high A next year. I, I just don't see him in double A next year. Yeah, um, me neither. But yeah, it, it's Oakland's got a few interesting guys, but um, I, I think they're going to take their time with Muncie just because, again, he's not a high floor guy. Uh, he's got a lot of growth to do. So, well, you know, you you mentioned something great. We're going to finish up in a second here, but I've always looked at rookie ball to uh, or short season ball to full season being an adjustment because of the grind, um, not necessarily the competition level. I mean, I've seen uh, low A and rookie ball look almost exactly the same. Um, that's how the competition's not necessarily separating itself there. Um, and then you move on to the next level. And I think what really improves at high A is the command of pitchers, uh, specifically with their fastball, being able to hit spots with their fastball, being able to command it and, and have a workable secondary option. Um, you don't see many workable se secondary options in low A. Then you get on to double A and that's where the breaking ball really takes its form. And that's where things become a little sticky for hitters who have issues with uh, pitch recognition. Specifically, if you want to name, uh, this is where we start seeing some struggles in Joe Adele's game. Um, uh, this is, you know, even though he's annihilating every fastball he faces, Eli De La Cruz is showing that he's human because he's uh, his pitch recognition is just not there because you don't the the the. The pitches aren't as tight in in high A than they are in double A. And then I always call triple A the, the home of misfit toys. Um, the, these are guys that have been up to the major leagues. Um, you're, you're dealing with a whole different animal there. I don't I I almost consider that more not a 
developing but adapting you're about to adapt to the major leagues and in the major leagues it's not a development anymore it's adapting it's it's figuring out how to make that adjustment and all that kind of stuff so i'm glad that you pointed out uh the difference between low a and high a because uh, yeah, and I, I think I was talking to Jeff uh, Ponce from Baseball America earlier this year where like he, you know, I, I was I miss low A and I don't know if you miss low A, but I miss low A um, because it's it's a grittier it's a grittier scout for me. Um, and I like being right about the grittier stuff than than already <laughs> developed. But like I think for me looking at high A, it's it's finding the pitching that really separates itself is the real um, is the real skill here. Do you do you agree with that? Without question. And I think you hit it right on the head. And that's why I've always been interested in low A as well, because a lot of times from the pitching standpoint, a lot of those pitchers are working on their stuff. Some of these guys can just dominate with a fastball at low A, but they're not. That's not what's going to get them to the next level. They're going to have to learn how to spin the ball. They're going to have to learn how to change speeds, work on repeating their delivery, command. There's just a lot of things that they need to work on. So you can't just pitch one guy, one pitch. It, it's sequencing as well. So. A lot of times, it's kind of like spring training. You see Max Scherzer gets lit up in spring training. Does anyone care? No, because he's just getting his arm in shape. Not comparing low A to spring training or even a complex league, but pitching is always fascinating because, yeah, maybe a guy hits 100 on the gun, but what does his breaking ball look like? Can he change speed? What does his arm angle look like? Can he repeat his delivery? That's where I think, I like your word, gritty. That gritty scouting in low A is always fascinating. Yeah, I, I miss it. I miss it. Um, and I miss the. I, I had the rookie rookie league like three hours away. So, uh, you know, pour one out for the Appalachian League. It was it was a good time. I was lasted. Uh, thank you, Jeremy, for your insights on Soderstrom and Muncie, both of the Oakland Athletics. It's always a blast to have you on the show. Uh, we can't wait to have you on the Eyes Have It podcast next year. Hopefully, Brent is with me next year. As uh, we told the listeners, he was out of commission this week with a head cold. So um, anyway, thank you for joining us again. Um, and um, I look forward to hearing from you and reading your words uh, this offseason at Baseball HQ. Sounds good. I look forward to it. Thanks for the time. We are now joined by another longtime Baseball HQ Miners writer. That's Rob Gordon. Rob Gordon, welcome to the show. This is his first time this season, but he was on last season. Hey, Chris, thanks for having me on the show. It's, uh, it's great to talk to you today. So, Rob, before we get started, um, you know, we, we had Jeremy on earlier this year and we had him back again uh, uh, just before we recorded with you. Um, it, can you go through where your coverage area is? I know that you guys have kind of similar coverage area, but uh, where are you exactly located? Which clubs are close by? Yeah, and I think Jeremy, I do, Jeremy and I do uh, overlap a, a fair amount. So I live in Dearborn, Michigan, which is just um, just west of Detroit. And so my coverage area is really southeast Michigan. Um, I, I get to see some games over at West Michigan, which is the Tigers um, high affiliate. So I see a lot of games in the Midwest League. Um, Lansing is the A's and West Michigan is the Tigers. And then in Midland. Um, we actually have a place up north, and so get to see a few games in Midland, which is the Dodgers high A affiliate. And then, of course, um, get to see the Tigers triple A team in, uh, in Toledo. So that's pretty much where occasionally we'll go over to South Bend, but, um, but you know, that's a couple hours away. So those, the, you know, the, the other stops are a little bit easier for me to get to. Well, you know, your Tigers coverage is probably going to uh, next couple of years really kind of ramp up. Uh, you know, they, they've they done some uh, some good work recently in the draft. I really uh, love their pick of uh, Jace uh, Young this year. So uh, and of course, Jackson Joe will be up there soon, right? Um, yeah, actually, they're both at they're both over at high A now. So I'm hoping to get over oh, to see them before the end of the year. Wow, that's, yeah. that's pretty cool. I did not realize that. Um, 
Um, it, it, here at Baseball HQ, if you don't cover the organization, you don't really pay attention uh, yeah. to where they are until the off season or mid season. I'll, I'll look at where people are, but uh, you know, uh, I knew that um, you know, talking to Jeremy, we had Tyler Sodenstrom, and I knew that he got called up uh yeah. to double a so like that was that was an easy one um you know for for me coming in but yeah i did not know that Job had been called up i, I figured young would be up there soon so it worked yeah. out um yeah. you got to see uh tiger's prospect that was drafted last year uh uh, a lot of people thought that he was going to be a bona fide first round pick. Uh, he kind of slid to this uh, supplemental uh, round draft. Speaking to scouts from other teams, they were a little concerned with this right hander. Specifically, he came from an organization that doesn't uh, organization, I should say, a college that's a little more old school than some other ones. Not necessarily into the analytics, not uh, not into the pitch shape and the tunneling and all that stuff that you hear from uh, pretty much every college you know, organization at this point right now and that is uh ty madden a six foot three 215 pound righty um and so far this year it looks like he's had a decent year um what did you see when you got to um got to view uh madden well you know chris it was probably his worst start of the year so he pitched five innings gave up 10 hits and five runs just a ton of hard hit balls and so you know that's the trouble with uh you know going to see somebody you know maybe only a couple times a year is that you, you might you know not see their best outings and so um it did give me pause though you know i was actually fairly excited about madden slipping to the tigers i think they got him at 32 overall in the draft and you know there was some talk about him going sort of mid first round and so um this, I think there's some stuff still to like about Madden. His fastball sits at like 93, 96, and he, he, he hit 97. I think in college maybe he was a little bit higher, like 98, but I, he topped out at 97 in the game I saw. But he, his fastball just doesn't have a lot, of, you know, and I think you're you're right. You know, Texas is a little bit old school in, in the way that they uh, work with their pitching staff in particular. And he pitches, uh, you know, he pitched down in the zone a lot, and he, he doesn't have that kind of ball that, um, that you like to see that sort of like is the separator for a lot of uh, prospects, that high uh, spin rate, high carry fastball up in the zone. He just doesn't have that. And, um, you know, I was I was interested to see if the Tigers had had done anything with that. And it, he looks like the same pitcher to me. Um, and he has had a good year. I mean, I think if you look overall at his numbers, he's seven and four with a 306 ERA. So. You know, and he's got 104 strikeouts and like 103 innings, so a strikeout per nine, not a ton of walks. Um, you know, he's got a, a, a decent mix. He's got a, an above average slider, a changeup, a curveball, but the curve isn't really used that much, and the changeup really lacks sort of deception and, and movement. And so um, I was a little less, you know, sort of um, bullish on, on Madden after seeing him pitch. I mean, his mechanics are are fine. I don't, I don't see anything wrong with his mechanics. I just think the way he pitches and tunnels pitches or doesn't tunnel pitches, you know, and, and doesn't get that high carry on that, on that fastball, um, maybe are a concern. And it, it is curious that Tigers, he just got called up to double a, um, two. So he's made three starts now at double a. Yes. Um, but it's curious that they left him at high A for that long. I mean, I think there there must have been some concerns on their part about some of the same things that, that maybe we're seeing. Um, but, you know, the one thing I will say about the Tigers that they they haven't done a great job with their, at least in my opinion, with their player development. I think sometimes, you know, you look at the struggles that Spencer Torkelson had coming up and, and, and it just, and, you know, some of that's mental, obviously, and there's, you know, I don't know how much you can you can predict that kind of thing, but it it does seem like the Tigers' prospects as they move up maybe aren't quite as polished as some other teams, and so I worry about Madden about whether he's going to be able to sort of like I actually feel like his fastball had a little bit more life on it in college than it at least in the outing that I saw. Um, so an interesting guy to watch. I think you know you might look at him and say, look at all the success he had in college and you know, look at his numbers this year and, and why isn't he maybe higher ranked? And it's like, well, he he's doesn't have that, the you know, that's 
spin rate that you'd like to see off the fastball. And um, like I said, he gave up a lot of hard contact in the game I saw. Yeah, and one of the things I'm looking at his uh, some of his double A stats here. Um, I've got some some pitch pitch data on him, and mm-hmm. specifically like um, a his velocity is a little down since he's gotten to the double yeah. A. He's he's only throwing about 91, 92 miles per hour on average. Uh, where before it was, it looked like it was like 90, 92 to 95 was pretty much where, and that's kind of what you said he was at yeah. on, in your in your outing. So he slowed down, and, and that's expected. This is a long grind. This is his first full season going every fifth day. In yep. college, they go every, every uh, you know, once a week, every right. Friday, uh, for instance. Um, the one thing that is shown in, in, you know, surprisingly is he's still getting misses on the fastball despite losing the velocity. So, um, you know, that's a good sign given, you know, and I'm, I'm watching some of his pitching right now, and I, I agree with you on the fastball. It's It looks like it's backed up. It was sharper last year. Yeah, um, I thought so, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but but the slider, the slider's the, about as advertised, if not better than than what it was last year. And he's gotten close to a 50 percent, um, granted, three games, but a close to 50 percent um, whiff rate on that yeah. slider. So, like, it, it is a significant, uh, significant pitch and it does give him that mix uh, of, of pitchings. Um, and, and yeah, the changeup doesn't look that great, and the curveballs, uh, curveballs okay. Um, yeah, nothing, nothing really to write home about. Uh, right. So, like when you see a, you know, and you're much more familiar with the Tigers organization than I have ever been. Um, you know, I think that they, with their pitching development, um, you know, Tariq um, has developed. I, I think as what we kind of expected him to be. Mm-hmm. I know that there's been some injuries there and stuff, and and you know, we've always been kind of a little reserved with Casey Mize. We understand yeah. the talent, but we also know the injury history. This is a kid that has essentially never really had a healthy year um right. in his in his career and that goes back to freshman year in college and maybe even into high school um but like um the matt manning development was i mean we all thought that he was going to really burst onto the scene and it didn't necessarily happen um uh, do you feel like it's a fundamental issue in there development with pitching specifically i know that you brought up the hitting uh but do you think it's a fundamental issue that maybe they're a little bit behind the times when it comes to pitching development yeah i would say so i mean you know and they they actually just hired and and i can't think of the guy's name but they hired a new player development person last year and so um you know i think internally and of course avila you know the gm just recently got fired so i think you know internally there's um there's definitely some work to do there. And, and, and I do feel like, um, other than Scooble, I feel like, I feel like most of the guys have taken a step back from what we thought they were going to be. I mean, and that's why, you know, the, the pick of Jackson Job at number three is, um, a little troubling because, you know, that's a, a, a right-handed high school, you know, pitcher is like the, you know, not usually a, a guy that's going to go at number three. Um, and and especially with the you know an organization that doesn't ha- I don't think has a stellar track record at the minor league level I think at the major league level their pitching coach Craig Feather is is done a fantastic yeah. job yeah. Their, their staff that they have when they're healthy they've been good it's just that um, you know Mize had basically like you said he had basically had one good year where he was healthy at Auburn <laughs> and that mm-hmm. was fortunately for him it was his draft year um, but. But yeah, his stuff definitely looked like it. It took a, a step or two back last year. His not his ERA was good, but like you know his his strikeout per nine, his velocity, you know his location of his stuff, everything seemed like it was a little down from uh, from what he was in college. And so, um, yeah, I think they I, I think they don't do a great job on the player development side of things in general. Yeah, and then that's you know I, I've always I mean. Uh, Riley Green's a different animal. I think that um, I think that he's he's in a different class. Like there's certain guys that you get that like um, here. If it, it, it takes a special organization to really mess it up, um, yeah. And I, I really think that Green had that fundamental hit tool coming in from high school. That it, it's just uh, you know I really believe that he would have 
without the injury this year, I really believe he would have challenged for the rookie of the year. Um, I, I I think that he uh, is that talented and would have adjusted uh, fairly quickly. Um, yeah, within a month. I, I would I would agree with you, Chris. I mean, I saw him a bunch of AAA last year, and uh, he you know every time I saw him, I, mean, I think his splits like lefty righty splits were like off the charts. I mean, he handled left-handed pitchers um really well and uh you know i know he struggled a little bit this year but you know he just went two for four off of or two for two off of otani with a home run and a double so um <laughs> you know there's there's definitely a lot of uh, a lot of raw potential there and i think he's starting to figure it out um but you know it's just uh is it is it not only you know covering the tigers but you know as a tigers fan it's just been a frustrating ride over the last seven years <laughs> It, it's it's been rough. Uh, I, I I can attest to that. Uh, I have a very uh, uh, good friend that's a Tigers fan. who's always asking, "Well, when it when is it going to be the next? When when are we going to be good again?" And I'm like, oh. I mean, no. they're drafting better. That's that's what I keep yeah. telling them. They are drafting better, and they're drafting for talent. And yeah, yeah I was I was also a little turned off by them going after Job, uh, not because Job is anything uh, like I think Job's terrific. But then again, you look at the Phillies; they were able to get Mika Bell and Andrew Painter, and they transformed uh, at least the way I feel about their organization. Um, uh, by having new hires. So it will be interesting to see that maybe the change in um, general manager might get a whole different group in there. Uh, and yeah. hopefully, hopefully, I mean, it, it's always hard when we see a general manager go, especially on our side of things, um, just because, you know, if we have contacts in that organization, it means that they might not be there anymore. Um, but, but yeah, like, I think this is, this is something that needed to happen, unfortunately, and uh, hopefully it shakes up that whole organization. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and they do have a lot of talent. It's just that, you know, I think that they, you know, the, the other area where they, you know, haven't maybe done a great job is on the international side of things. They, I can't remember the last time they had, a, you know, the, like a high caliber international um, player come through their system. Yeah, it's been a while. You're you're right. Um, but I mean, this Wilmer Flores kid looks like he's, yes. uh, you know, um, also brother of Wilmer Flores, just to make uh, everybody more confused. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, this one's a pitcher, and he's really kind of um, taken taken the organization by storm this year. Yeah, he's been very good. Moving, transitioning to an organization from an organization that struggled developing guys to an organization that is noted for um developing guys uh, the other guy that rob's bringing to this uh conversation today is diego uh cartaya uh the catching prospect one of the big international signings in 2018 out of venezuela uh, uh, you got to see cartaya uh what was your impressions after uh after your evaluation uh, you know, I think nothing's changed. I, he, he still stands out to me as one of the best, maybe the one or two best catching prospects in, in the minors. Um, just a really good understanding of the strike zone. He went 0 for 4 in the game, but he, but you know, you, you watch enough games and you, you can see his approach was very, um, I want to say methodical because that sounds like a negative connotation, but very deliberate. Like he, he had a good understanding of what he was doing. He's got a good understanding of the strike zone. He does chase a little bit on uh, soft stuff uh, away out of the zone, but he also is will lay off that stuff. So he he's really hunting fastballs, which you know I think most young hitters do. Um, but you know, and there's definitely still some swing and miss in his game. I think he's got like a 27% K rate at both stops this year, but he does also draw plenty of walks. He's got a 14% walk rate. So I really do think he has a good understanding of what he's doing at the plate. Um, and I do think that probably his best tool is his above average power. Um, he's got 36 home runs. He's played essentially a full year of professional baseball at this point, 162 games, and he's got 38 doubles and 36 home runs uh, with 22 of those home runs coming this year. And so, um, I, I just really like his approach at the plate. I think he's, you know, sort of that's, you know, prototypical professional hitter. Um, and so I, I'm pretty excited about him still, even though he didn't, he didn't really do much in the, in the game that, uh, that I saw. The one, the one thing I would say is that I do have some concerns about his defense and I don't know if you, you've seen him play Chris, but 
um, I think that you know I've seen I've seen grades of like 55 or 60 on his defense, and I I honestly just don't see that. He's pretty agile behind the plate, but um, he led. I think he had two pass balls in the game and one you know a wild pitch that he didn't block, and so um, that's that's a pretty big deal for you know teams like the especially teams like the Dodgers where you really you know, I don't, obviously with Will Smith in place, you know, you're going to, you're going to have to sort of be a plus defender, not a below average defender. Um, so he does have a really good arm, but he's just, he's not particularly quick on his pop time. And so, um, you know, I worry about him sort of stopping the running game. Um, you know, is he going to be, he, he receives the ball. Okay. I mean, he's, he's, you know, and he frames the ball. Well, I just think his his blocking, you know, his pass ball issues and, and sort of the slightly slow release are, are going to be issues as he moves up. I think evaluators, um, specifically in the media, um, I, you, you talk to scouts and the least confident about any of their skills is their ability to scout catching defense. And <laughs> yeah, I, would, I would agree. Uh, I mean, I've always thought I've had a pretty good handle. Um, my my mentor in this, uh, a guy named Mike Newman, uh, was a collegiate catcher in Kentucky and at a few other colleges. I, I'm escaping the other things. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I got a really good sense of what he looked for uh, when scouting the position. And uh, I, I think that people uh, put too much um, – too much focus on the framing part of of scouting and this is a kid that that seems to have that because i feel like nowadays almost every guy has it i feel like if we went back 10 years ago we might not uh, think that way i think now the 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 thing that separates him i want to know if he's agile behind home plate um even if he's having issues getting to breaking pitches um and and getting down and doing that kind of thing i want to know if he's on his, his toes is he is he able to move side to side uh because i feel like he can get i feel like the thing that you can teach a catcher is how to get down does that make sense yeah it um, does the, and and another thing also, you know, talking about this, we heard the same things about Kibu Ruiz as well, yeah. who came up with the Dodgers organization. Were you able to see Ruiz uh, as a catcher? Um, I guess it was in low A back then. Um, yeah. You were? And yeah. comparing the two, what, you know, I know that was a time ago, but comparing the two, where were they defensively at that point and in, in when you got to see him? I would say very similar. Okay. Um, you know, so it's some of the same some of the same concerns that were there with Ruiz are there with Cartaya, but I also but Cartaya is very agile, and so I, I'm I'm willing to sort of get. I agree. I think that that's you know blocking pitches is something that you can is a skill that you can improve on. The Dodgers have certainly done a, a very good job of of developing catchers over the last decade. Um, so I'm I'm. I'm still fairly confident he'll stick behind the plate. You know, um, I I just wonder he's had some back issues too, and so that's yeah, you know yeah. something that's a little bit concerning. Like obviously it's a pretty demanding position, I'm the most demanding position, and so um, you know I I wonder if given their their depth at the position, if they continue to you know develop him as a catcher once he moves up to you know double A triple A. I don't see any reason why he couldn't be an average or even above average defender at this point. It's just that there's some work to do. Yeah, and throwing throwing a plus defender on a guy at this at this juncture when he's still this raw of a receiver um, is is always something that I'm I'm very apprehensive uh, to see. Um, and I also like killing a guy completely too is is the yeah. other thing. Like saying uh, you know because there's there is skills to learn. I mean. The Twins organization specifically with their old catching coach who's now with the the Yankees organization, uh, like, I'll be honest, when I saw Brian Jeffers the first time, I didn't think there was a chance for him to be a catcher. Um, And and now he's one of the best uh, framers in baseball. And, you know, the the style of catching has changed as well, where we've got guys on one, one knee because of this 
this particular yeah. coach. I mean, we we spoke of you, you you weren't around for it, but uh Jeremy and I spoke about uh uh JT Realmuto being like the this great athlete if he's even using the one uh knee down when yeah. runners are on base. Uh like so it's it's a it's kind of transformed the position. But if a guy's able to move side to side, I'm willing to say that he'll eventually be able to block pitches. Um and again, I think that um, I think that he fits, uh, you know, yes, he has that natural arm strength too. Uh, but, uh, seeing his release, uh, his release on, uh, Twitter, it's not a clean release, uh, right. behind home plate. There's a lot of, uh, uh, actions that need to be cut down specifically with his uh, feet and specifically yep. with his upper body too. It's yep. not, and, and, and it was very similar to see with, um, with Ruiz coming up and with Smith coming up as well, yep. where there was, so, you know, I'm glad that you brought up uh, that, that this is, um, you know, this is an organization that, that does develop catching better than others. Um, yep. I'm going to ask this question because I asked it to Jeremy with Tyler Soderstrom, and I'm going to ask it with you uh, with uh, Diego Cartaya. Um, when you're rating in the off season or, or while you're out, you know, um, scouting or while you're on, on our podcast, uh, <laughs> are you discounting any, or are you increasing your potential rating um, ability for these guys, these catchers? Like for instance, Soderstrom, um, you know, has multiple positions where he's playing first right now. He's also catching. People think he'll play left field at some point. Um, uh, Cartaya sounds like a, a bona fide catcher. Um, the yep. only thing that probably switches him off is if, uh, you know, Will Smith is is entrenched there and he's not as good as Smith is uh, behind home plate or something like that. Um, do, does your potential rating suffer because Cartaya is a catcher? No, I don't think so. I think you know, I I try not to to. Um, to think about position change too much because I feel like, um, you know, I'm trying to do it mostly from a fantasy baseball perspective. And yeah. so, you know, watching Cartaya, the bat is, is, is so good and the power is so good that even if he did switch to a different position, I feel like he has a lot of value. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, and especially in, in fantasy leagues where you, you know, they don't have to, catch every day behind the plate in order to, you know, to qualify at the position. And so um, I don't really discount them for, for, I also don't elevate them. I, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to give them a, you know, higher rating or higher grade or rank them on our, you know, top 100 list higher because he is a catcher, which some places do because, you know, catchers and shortstops are always in, in high demand. And so sometimes you'll see a guy ranked higher than, then I would rank them because they're a catcher or a shortstop. So I try to play it neutral and just um, think of, you know, like, how is this, how is this, this person gonna, this player gonna sort of develop as a fantasy player. Um, and yeah, it'd be great if he could stick. I mean, I think, I guess if he was terrible behind the plate, it would, it would be a little bit different, yeah. but he's, he's good. He's just, you know, kind of raw at this point still. Yeah, and um, it, it's different words, but it's essentially what Jeremy said. And I, I haven't thrown an opinion yet on this episode, but I'm going to say I agree with with your opinion and with Jeremy's opinion on this. My my ratings don't change on catchers. I think the only time they do change is when I am, uh, you know, doing scouting like uh, for the amateur draft. If I don't think a guy can handle the catching position, um, I, I do. I do discount it somewhat, but yeah. for fantasy purposes, it's it's what it is. Yes, the, traditionally it's a weaker fantasy position. I think that we're seeing a renaissance uh, of sorts, um, if we can call it that, over the last several years of the catchers that are already in the major leagues and the catchers that are coming, just like Hartaya, like Soderstrom, if he stays there. Uh, we also spoke a little bit about Lang Lears, who just got called up by the Athletics as well. Um, you know, it, it's a different crop of catching prospects that we're seeing. Before we get off, I said that we were going, uh, that this was your second guy, uh, your your last guy, essentially. But you actually got to see somebody uh, that just recently got traded to the Dodgers from the Blue Jays in the uh, um, 
uh, Mitch White deal, and that was Nick Frasso, um, uh, a pitcher. Uh, you know, give us some thoughts on Frasso. Um, we did rank him um, outside our top 20 in our uh, ranking the prospects of the trade season. Uh, but he's an interesting guy. And since I did that article, I've been a little apprehensive because Frasso has kind of dominated, uh, even in a unique three-inning role that he's had so far. Yeah, and, and Chris, I actually didn't know very much about him at all before the trade and before seeing him. And so he was a fourth-round pick in 2021 out of Loyola Marymount, so not exactly like a you know a baseball powerhouse. Um, and he made two professional starts and then had to have Tommy John surgery. And so, um, you know, there really wasn't much of a track record until this year. And so he returned pretty quickly. He was actually back in action 12 months after the surgery. And... Um, and the, the Blue Jays, to start the year, they had him going, you know, three-inning stints, and then when he got traded to the Dodgers, he's continued that. But he he just really impressed me. I mean, he's um, he's got a lot of sort of like – he's very fluid on the mound. It's sort of – the mechanics are a little bit sort of all over the place. But, um, but his fastball in the game I saw was up to 101, and he hit 102. Uh, one time and he really he kind of sat I mean the, the velocity was a little bit all over the place it was 94 to 98 99 but um, you know that's that's not surprising for a guy who's 12 months out 15 I guess 15 months out now from Tommy John surgery um, but his number is like he's got a 0.85 ERA this year with uh, 66 strikeouts and 42 in a third innings and, and a 143 batting average against. And so, and then it's not just the fastball, I'd say he's got an above average, at least a potentially above average slider and a, and a pretty decent changeup. Um, so I think it, it, he's a guy that really had no expectations about. And that's part of the fun thing of going to games like this is you see somebody and you're like, oh my gosh, who is that guy? And start looking more into, you know, into what he's done. and. And, you know, a guy like this, you know, can kind of come out of nowhere. And especially in the Dodgers organization, they've just done such an amazing job with their pitching development over the last, you know, I don't know how many years, at least the last decade. Um, that you more, you know, you just kind of start to pay attention a little bit more to somebody like that because of the, the velocity, because of the movement on the fastball, um, but also because of the organization that he's in now. Yeah, I had that same, uh, you know, sitting down in front of a, uh, you know, front of a radar gun and watching Joe Ryan for the first time when he was with the Rays organization yeah. being like, hey, the guy's not throwing hard, but like, look at how everybody's reacting to his pitches. And then, you know, kind of seeing that this, this kid's holding on to the baseball longer than anybody else, um, essentially flicking his flicking the ball forward, kind of like um, um, uh, Eno Saris said, kind of like Micah Givens, but at a different arm angle, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, Givens has that um, that very late um, yeah. wrist, uh, you know, action uh, to his pitches that uh, you only show the ball late. And here's yeah. here's Joe Ryan. And I, I had that same feeling. Uh, I haven't had that feeling with anybody this year, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> I did get well, a little excited. Yeah, I did get a little excited when I saw Joe Boyle because I knew he threw hard, but I also knew he threw a lot of uh, balls too. So, yeah. Um, yeah. But like, yeah, that's that's awesome that you were able to see him. Well, um, Jer um, Rob, thank you for joining us today. Um, this has been great to have you on the show. Um, we will, uh, you know, of course, next year have you on again. Um, and we look forward to uh, reading your words this this offseason on uh, the website and the Minor League Baseball Analyst. You also do the Minor League Minute, too, on Patrick's uh, podcast, HQ Radio, right? Yes. Yep. Thank you again for being on, and uh, we look forward to seeing you next year. Thank you, Chris. It's been, it's been a blast. Uh, it's always fun to talk prospects with you. To conclude our show, we always take a look at where we'll be this week. And usually I ask Brent to lead it off if uh, I'm the one hosting the show and, um, you know, kind of running through the show. And unfortunately, Brent's not here. So I've got to make up where Brent's going to go next week. Uh, first off, he and I are going to have to record a podcast. Um, but if I was Brent, um, I would try my best to get out to Reading later in the week and possibly see 
a very important pitcher, Andrew Painter of the Phillies. Uh, love him get that look. So hopefully he gets out there. I'm putting a lot of pressure on him. <laughs> um, but he'll he'll probably have some looks next week at some guys, uh, assuming he starts feeling better. Um, as for me, I do a lot of video scouting early in the week. Uh, by the end of the week, I'm leaving for a conference, so I will not be here uh, to go look at baseball, watch baseball. But I should get to a major league game on Sunday at Fenway Park between the Rays and the Red Sox. So I'm really looking forward to that. So, um, well, anyway, thank you for joining us on this week's Eyes Have It podcast. Uh, this was a strange episode, but I'm so thankful for uh, Jeremy Deloney and Rob Gordon for joining us. I really enjoyed our conversations, and we really got into some things uh, that weren't planned, but really worked for us to fill uh, fill out some time on this of interesting stuff instead of having to listen to me talk to myself the whole time. So I thank Rob and Jeremy for for coming on. And as always, thank you to everyone who listened to this episode of the Eyes Have It podcast. We'd love to hear from you. You can ask us questions at the Eyes Have It at baseballhq.com or reach out to us on Twitter. Brent is at Brent HQ, and you can reach me at C underscore blessing. If you are a first time listener to our pod, welcome. Uh, click subscribe to get our future episodes. Um, we're on all the different podcast places. Uh, I think we're actually adding some more. Uh, we're going to a new podcast host. Uh, so we'll see how that works out. Uh, spread the word about us, too. Uh, I know that, you know, you might be in a league with a bunch of people and you don't really want them to know about us. So so tell your friends outside of that league. There's a good chance they possibly play fantasy baseball, too. Uh, I can just speak for my own friends. I know they do. Uh, until next time, I'll see you later.